Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and there's no time to waste because we're heading east, only to head straight back again. This week's episode, completely by accident, is all about tying together some of the places and ideas that we've explored in previous episodes. It's the connective tissue, and it's a lot more besides, and it was a hell of a long recording. You know, there was a lot to say. So this week's episode is an extended one. We could have compressed it, but it felt like it deserved the space. You should probably save it for that tube journey where there's a signal failure and you get stuck in the tunnel so you can at least feel like you're going somewhere. The thing that really struck me about this journey was just how surreal some parts of it were, and I mean really strange. Join me and my guide as we explore the riverbank from the Thames Barrier to Greenwich. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a long through from your front door. We've done shows, as you'll remember, where we have been in little countryside villages all beamed with oak, looking at vintage buses and vintage steam trains. We've been in rural West London, seemingly completely unconnected with the city. I'm now standing by the river looking at a huge ship unloading its cargo from the Tate and Lyle sugar plant, all of which seem to belong to completely different places, even different times. But it is all still London. What an exciting city it is. In fact, as we're standing here by the river at the Thames Barrier. We're watching one of the refuse barges heading upriver. And, of course, we've recorded on one of those as well. If you fancy finding out what that's like, flick back to a previous episode, why don't you? And we're going to be taking a riverside walk. And with me is David Fathers. He's the author and illustrator of the London Thames Path, a guide to the Thames Path from Putney Bridge to the Barrier. David, hi. Good morning. I should describe David to you. I know he's an illustrator. He's been doing some sketching while we've been discussing things before the show here. But he looks as though he could comfortably belong on a Harley with a scarf like that. <laughs> no, I, don't, I no longer have a motorbike. I used to. Ah, I thought I detected one there in the mix. We've got an amazing view, and it's not by accident that we've got such a, a beautiful view here. It isn't. We are standing here looking west along the Thames. We've got the Thames barrier in front of us, which is open today. And beyond that, we can see the O2 Arena and Canary Wharf, and then just poking out on the horizon, we can see the, the Shard. So what's the plan today, David? I think we're going to walk... Oh, we have City Airport. We do have City Airport. You've got to time this. Um, we're going to walk here from uh, the barrier 
around the peninsula, around Greenwich Peninsula, or Bugsby Peninsula, as it used to be called. Is that right? Bugsby Marshes, to be precise. It used to be just marshland. It was redundant land. Wait, when did it stop being called Bugsby? I suspect sometime before the O2 Arena, in a bid to sort of uh, improve the area. Well, Bugsby not cool enough. No, certainly not cool enough, no. <laughs> but I think the state agents would say no. Well, they want Greenwich. They want that cachet of Greenwich. They know the best, don't Yes. Do you know what? Normally I say this about the Greenwich Peninsula. You can be standing almost anywhere on the river and have pretty much no idea which way you're pointed because everything's all jumbled up. But actually here from the Thames Barrier, you've got a pretty good idea of what's where and you can kind of make out the, the curve of the peninsula heading up towards you your right. Yes, you can. You can see that as it curves round uh, to the north and you can see the, the dome and that is the top of the peninsula there and then we're going to curve It'll, the river flows around the other side and we can see the shard exactly ahead of us yes indeed yes the ubiquitous shard and uh, something that you don't always see because the photogenic side of the barrier is the shiny bit around the other side isn't it where you've got those curved blades but from this side i'm struck by the little viewing cabins that you can see on the back of each of those reminding me very much of a passenger ferry i always think of them as the sentinels now to the to the city of London. They're yeah, guarding like the city of London. I remember visiting this place when I was a wee infant, when the place was just open, which marks my vintage very nicely. And I remember being bored and mindless by the <laughs> engineering side of things. I shouldn't have been. No, no, it's 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 fabulous. It's here to sort of protect about five hundred square kilometres of London from from flooding. It's only been closed last year, twenty fifteen. It closed only a couple of times um, but 14 the previous year it closed about 40 odd times it was closed because of the you remember the, in, in uh, January 2014 there was a heavy amount of rainfall and some adverse tides and this was closed for quite a period of time over that month to protect large swathes of London from flooding yeah, now a quick note to teachers. If you're in the business of trying to interest children in a barrier, what you want to do is get them to watch one of those disaster films that shows what would happen if London got flooded. Yes. Lots of death and mayhem is there what you need, be. and then show them the barrier. Yes. This is what's protecting us from that. Don't just show them the barrier sitting there nice and prim in the river. No, no, no. no, it's also, I would say, it's good to come down here when it actually closes. They do test it from time to time. What would we see? We see the barriers which are sitting on the bed of the river at the moment. They're not not only do those silver helmets on the islands. There is this sort of piece of sort of curved concrete which is raised up, and it is quite something to see. There's a huge amount of water that's been held back, uh, and then they slowly release it by lifting the barrier further up, even higher, and the water goes underneath. I see. So each one of these has got a kind of a water wheel without the water wheel. Yeah, those yellow cranes on the pontoon they they raise it up. Uh, into position. Yep. Okay, so we're at the Extravagant View Cafe here, where they're out of paninis, so we have no further business <laughs> being here. But one unnerving thing about this place is that the coffee is served by somebody wearing a uniform that says Environment Agency, and that's not what you want to see when you're getting your coffee. There's something weird about that. Yeah, cool. Thinking where on earth have they dredged it up from? <laughs> <laughs> the answer may be close to hand. Anyway, we're, we're down to the uh, riverside. I'm going to swing a, a left, so we're pointing at London. And you do these walks every now and again, right? Yeah, yeah, I've brought friends down here. I've done a couple of guided tours down here. But what's different today, Quentin, was that we start from this point rather than Greenwich. So what we've got as we're walking, we've got the vista of London, Canary Wharf, the dome, the shard in front of us. So what's, what's your deal then? What's your route into all of I this? I 
I trained as a designer, as a graphic designer, lured into working on web projects and CD-ROM projects in the 90s. But deep down, I was always a frustrated illustrator, and I always wanted to do a book. I tried doing children's books, never got anywhere, just got a pile of rejection slips. And a few years ago, I was out on a bike ride with a friend of mine, and part of it was on the Regent's Canal. And even though I'd lived at that time, I'd lived in London about 30 years, I'd never... I'd never been down this part of the Regent's Canal. In fact, I don't think I'd even been on the Regent's Canal before, to be honest. You know this isn't the Regent's Canal, though. I do know. Yes. <laughs> I'll check. We're coming to the... We'll come to the Thames in a minute. Doing the bike ride, I went looking for some books on the subject, and there was one or two, but they were very text-based and pretty dry. And I thought, there's a, there's a book in this. So I put it up to one side, and some time later, I think probably a New Year's resolution, I think to recall, I thought, I'd better get this going and send it off to a publisher. And... I got an instant, you know, for more or less an instant reply and said, yeah, it's a great idea, let's do it, which was a standout. Wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, eventually, that was so... Uh, I did a book on the Regent's Canal, and it sold pretty well. And they came back to me and said, would you like to do some more? So this is how I got to do the Thames Path. And it's, it's a neat little number as well, I've got to say. Thank you. We should swing your website out into oh, the... Oh, yeah. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about this. Is somebody else's name appended to various of your projects? No. Yes, what's, what's your website? My website is Joe Moon. Yes, who's cool. Joe Moon? That was one of my characters of my children's book, books from years ago, and I just decided to keep it. I mean, I could have had davidfathers.co.uk, but I was too modest. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, one of your characters is getting want... all the credit? Yes, yeah. We're entering into a walkway here. Now, I was quite interested in this. There's a long, concrete brutalist. Oh, no. It's a brutalist structure. And it's a covered walkway, a viewing gallery, I guess, for the barrier itself. Engraved into the wall, though, is a long chart, almost life-size, marking off all the tributaries of the river. Now, I wanted to check with you, actually. What are these depth levels? What well, is it it's showing is from the, from the Thames, from Shivering Sands Tower, all the way up to its source... And so, in scale, along here, so we've got South End on Sea, Isle, uh, Isle of Grain, uh, Gravesend, Tilbury, and it's showing you all the various docks uh, and features. The QE2 bridge is there. North Fleet Hope, St Clement's Reach, Long Reach, Erith Rands, Erith Reach, Halfway Reach, Galleons Reach, Bugsby's Reach. There we go, Bugsby, as in the, Bugsby, as in the marshes. There's some great names there. It reminds me of the shipping forecast, that little bit. <laughs> St Margaret's Reach, Horse yeah. Reach. I guess we're in Tellington, Twickenham yeah, area. Yeah, we passed London now. We? We oh, we missed London. Yeah, we missed London. Okay, so here we are. Uh, Vauxhall Bridge, Battersea Power Station. So, you know, this, this stretch here is London. Uh, we're, uh, we're gesturing to a bit that's about two metres long. Yeah. yeah. And then we've still got uh, another 100 feet, yeah. 150 feet. Easy, easily 150 feet to the, um, the source. Now... This is either going to be extremely obvious to you, listener, or it's going to come as as much a surprise to you as it does to me. But the left side of this chart, which is to say the bit that's furthest out to sea, the line indicating the height of the river is very low. It's barely higher than my ankle. When we get up to the other end, though, the source, it's at head height. Yes, that's true, but also at Teddington, which I'm trying to find on this wall here, there we go, is Teddington Lock. So up to this point, it's tidal. But by here, there is a lock, and it's, the water is then controlled. So now we begin to sort of rise. Um, oh, yes, we get steps. Yes. And each one of those is a lock. Penton Hook Lock, Bell Lock. Magna Carta Island, what a yes, great name. Well, yeah, well, that's where the Magna Carta was signed. So that's Runnymede? In Runnymede, yeah. 
we've got Windsor, there's a Weir at Windsor, there's Boveney Lock and Weir. Well, this is all very good. Uh, you should get yourself down here. Yes. But we're down here. What are we going to be exploring on this side of the river? I think the next thing we're going to see is the Angerstein and Murphy's Wharf, which is this very old 200-year import dock, which is still working, which is unusual for London. You think most of the import trade has gone in terms of shipping, but this is still working. I don't think there's anything in today, but... Uh, Through a maze of foot tunnels, make me think of 60s French cinema. <laughs> no, 70s French cinema. We're not that far from... Uh, um, Thamesmead, where they shot The Clockwork Orange, which is right. similar to this that, tunnel. Yeah, that's where it's coming from. Yes, that's such a nice view there. That is beautiful, isn't it's, it? It's not good for radio, but it's uh, it's just the the the, the silver uh, helmets of the. Uh, this is the sort of iconic view of the Thames Barrier, yes. I would say. Yeah, you'll see this in you know many a photograph. This is the this is the Thames Barrier. Maybe we'll shove a photo up uh, Acast. I want to question this the helmets of uh, people guarding, of figures guarding London, though. Does that mean that the rest of them is under the water? Is that how you see it? Is this like a Pacific, yes, they Pacific are like Rim type that they're, deal? They're just, you're just seeing the head and shoulders of these guards, and they are, you know, 40 foot tall. I think we've just identified another way to get kids interested in the Thames Barrier. It's true. Yes. I couldn't help noticing, as I was coming to meet you, that as we walk past the fairly industrial bit that we're just coming to here, it looks as though there's some storage yards on the left. Well, they wouldn't be on the right. The river's on the right. Incredible, pervasive smell of soy sauce. I wonder if there's a brewery or something around here. I wonder. Can't smell it at the moment. You'll, it'll, uh, it'll strike you. Yes. Or perhaps um, Amoy have a factory here. When you mentioned that this is a, an active dock, I was wondering what sort of stuff is coming and going from here. Because, of course, the big news is down at Tilbury, isn't it? Yes, well, Tilbury took, with its containerisation operation, took all the trade, all the shipping away from the centre of London. So all the docks along here, which we'll see later on, by the late 60s were all redundant. But here, they're still bringing in... It's marine dredged aggregate that they're taking from the North Sea and licensed areas in the North Sea, shipped back in. And on those gantries that we can see just over there, it's hoisted in on conveyor belts, and it's processed, it's graded, so you'll, we'll see in a minute, huge pyramids of different size, cobbles, sand, different grades of sand. Uh, and then it's shipped out, mostly by train, because they have their own spur line that goes off to Charlton or by lorry, and it's used for motorway building, a house building, probably some end up in your garden. There's decorative cobbles. Gravel driveways. Yeah, gravel driveways. And uh, there's a very lazy atmosphere here. Well, I guess because there's no ship arriving with its goods. But, but yes, it's, 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 it's lazy, it's fair. Well, I was going to say it's quiet, it's not. It's quiet in terms of number of people walking along here today, but what the, the aircraft uh, on this... Uh, crane working here and the factories to the side. It's still reminiscent of what it was like 100, 150 years ago, excluding the aircraft, of course. This is still the Thames Path. There's a sign there that tells you we are still on the Thames Path, but it's a weekday. And to be honest, I mean, I've, I've been out here you know, numerous times and never see hordes of people. The tourists never get as far as, they never get any further than uh, Tower Bridge. That's it. They never rarely walk. It's only the more determined types that get up here. Now, it could be argued that that is because it's uh, rather ugly and industrial. 
and with the exception of the obviously beautiful industrial uh, structure of the barrier itself perhaps there's not all that much to look at compared for example with George and Greenwich yeah yeah true but I think somehow there is some beauty in this I can I can get something out of this you know, it doesn't all have to be shiny or Georgian or, um, or Victorian or Gothic you know, there's something in this I could find I quite agree with you and looking at the platform here I, this caught my eye earlier there's a platform that's obviously intended to take account of the changing height of the river it's a concrete and asphalt platform standing up on stilts mm. and there's something war of the world to you about it <laughs> in fact we can go on to it I think it's a, gates are open yes they are yes oh no sorry no, no. this is the other side there's one set of gates it used to be open no I think it's closed however well this access thing is a bit of an issue in other parts of the river something that's gradually been overcome simply by getting rid of the industrial component of the Riverside yes. and putting through a public walks. So the, the north bank of the Thames here is pretty much out of bounds, isn't it? It is at the moment, although I suspect it's you know, in the next ten years things will change because the sadly in a way because but the value of land over there is, is increasing and they know that it's, it's over on the north bank it's it's industrial warehouses, uh, scrap yards, there's aggregate dumps. But as you can see immediately. Uh, across the river here there's some brand new buildings going up and I think that is going to spread further east and west along the Thames and possibly part of the planning requirement will be that they open the Thames path along that stretch. It's happened before in other places west of Greenwich they've had to open up new parts of the Thames path. And that is an enormous amount of construction. Do you happen to know are these the uh, infamous luxury flats. I would imagine they well, are the I'm infamous not... luxury flats, yes. <laughs> I haven't heard of a flat being built now for a couple of years that hasn't got the word luxury in front of true, it. True. And, and, and the, the thing about affordable flats, that is a very relative term. What I'm, is it? Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure I read just recently that flats up to £450,000 are still considered to be affordable. That, that is not affordable, is it? That's half a million quid. Yeah, yeah. Try, try getting a mortgage on that when you're earning, you know, thirty or forty thousand pounds a year. Hmm? Not a hope in hell. Try getting a mortgage full stop. Yeah, true. Yeah, where are you based? I'm based in North Finchley. Is this the sort of place you go to for a bit of uh, peace of mind, or does it hold particular artistic potential, or what? What is this part of town? Originally, it was just I, I came out here to explore for the book, but now I've discovered, you know, I quite like bringing friends, family down across the Thames, especially to the, the north. Park, Barrier Park is quite, it's very interesting. I don't suppose this is the sort of place I would bring my mother to on this side. <laughs> Depends if your mother's into industrial wharves. I don't think she is. Ah, okay. <laughs> An oversight on her part. I think so, yes. Uh, there's a really interesting one just off to the right here. Well, okay, so we've got some buildings here that are shored up at their foundations by planks of wood, essentially, mm-hmm. to keep the yeah. river at bay. And then Poking out behind them in a kind of a, a horseshoe shape is a very dilapidated-looking structure. Again, up on stilts, this yeah. time wooden ones. It's got a concrete shed on the top with neck curtains. It looks like from this angle. That can't be right. No, I can't. Yeah, I, it, but it's wonderful, though, isn't it? What's, just what's just it all for, those p- pieces of timber holding it up. We've no idea it's fallen into disuse, yes. one would imagine. Yeah. It's got yeah. grass growing on the platform. Yeah, but it, is, it has some quality to it. It's nice, isn't it? If I had more time, I'd come back and draw it. 
if I had more time, I'd, I'd probably buy that and do it, do <laughs> yes. it up. Of course, yes. Do people, is anyone doing that? There are those towers out in the estuary. Yes, yeah. You it probably, must have crossed somebody's mind. I bet. You probably wouldn't get permission to live there. I bet there's some restriction on you know, building something. And, and then you, you, know, you wouldn't get a... It'd probably be difficult to get a mortgage <laughs> <laughs> on something that's sitting on rotten wooden stilts. Or, or home insurance. Yeah, I don't think it's... it's, it's it's a nice idea. So what are you saying? No, you're saying it's a bad idea. Right? Be frank with me. You don't like the idea. I'll come and visit you. You get it. I'll come and visit. <laughs> It'd be wonderful, though, just waking up to the, you know, the Thames just lapping against the side of your house. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Yes, that would be really nice. Well, you know, there's stranger things going on. If you think southwest London, there are lots of little islands in the river and yes, they're kind of making yeah. that thing work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's possible. I just, just looking at the state of that... It's coming back into view again. It looks so precarious. It does. I just don't think it's going to work. Half of the supporting stakes are actually not meeting in the middle. (laughs) I withdraw my planning application. Past the Hope and Anchor. I think it's the Anchor and Hope. Oh, well done. Past yes, the... it's the Anchor and Hope. Yes, that's a mistake I made first time. I think I'm featured in the book as the Anchor and Hope. Or the Hope and Anchor, rather. Because that always trips off the tongue, doesn't it? It does. And uh, what does it mean? That I seems to be know. a formulation yes, you see a lot. Yes, I, I, I don't honestly know. Answers on a postcard. Well, please. we can do better than a postcard. I know we can. Listener, it's over to you. <laughs> there's a, well, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a very famous one in Islington that I used to frequent... The Hope and Anchor. Mm. Obviously, it's got nautical connotations, although in Islington, I'm not quite sure why it's got nautical connotations. Mm. And in the goods yards here, we can see rail tracks still in evidence. And the street we're heading down at the moment is barbed wire on one side to stop us from getting into... That looks a bit like the Corey place. I think this is the Corey, yes. It is the Corey offices. Ah, yes, this is Corey. And they're responsible for quite a lot of the recycling that takes place along the Thames in, from Wandsworth and from the City of London. They pick up the, the large containers full of rubbish, take it down to Bexley Heath, I think, and then incinerate it and create, generate energy from that, electricity from that. An area here that's all about warehousing and storage and goods yards. Well, you can see that this is where shipping containers probably come in. There's some overhead rails here. You would imagine that some sort of thing comes over and uh, picks off containers off the back of trucks. Over the back there we can see conveyor belts in the sky. Well this is the Angerstein and Murphy's Wharf we were talking about earlier. So here we can see piles of graded aggregate. Yeah, I had something different in mind when you said piles. I imagined uh, something that you might be able to move with a shovel in a day. (laughs) It'd take more than a shovel to move that lot. You mean piles in the sense that the Alps are piles? Piles of aggregate, piles of stuff that they've got down from the, from the bottom of the uh, North Sea. Well, that might explain that salty smell that I was thinking of. Yes, sauce. yes, it could be. It gets quite pungent further around if it's if it's there's just been uh, they've been unloading. It's quite wet. A lot of the uh, imported aggregate falls off the conveyor belts from time to time, and you can see it all just gets washed out. You can see, I mean, here where we're walking is quite sandy yet. You know, we're nowhere near a beach, and it's all just been blown off here. Oh. Gets washed off, blown off. We've got a choice to make here. We can go down Bugsby's Way, if we please. I think that way goes up to the uh, bus stop, which we don't want. We'll continue along here on the uh, Thames Path. 
because we're going to go right under the, the import dock. How far does the Thames Path extend? We're heading out east, On this? beyond the point that we met at. Yeah, it's about another 20, 25 miles. Really? Yeah, and it goes to Dartford, near the crossing. Huh. That's a hell of a walk. It is. I'm going to planning to do it in a few weeks' time, just to see what's out there. Are you allowed to walk across the Dartford crossing? Dartford Bridge? No, you're not. But if you take a, you go on a bike, you can insist that they carry you and your bike on a truck across the... for free. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's... I'm sure it's free, but don't quote me on that. Um, you haven't exercised this right. I haven't yet, but maybe one day I will try it. But apparently they're obliged by law to carry you and your bike across the Dartford crossing. Well, are you obliged to be popular with them after that? Probably not, no. They'll probably hate you. I'm sure they wouldn't. I'm sure they'd do it in very good spirits. We're being loomed over at the moment by a tarmac plant. Great big cylindrical containers pinched down into a funnel at their base. Well, this is where the grade is. This is where it's dropped in, whizzed around. As I say, I think when these are running, this make a hell of a din. Uh, we wouldn't be able to record this, I think, if they were running today. But they just graded out. And you can see just through there the sand, the gravel, and probably somewhere else further, the piles of stone. Bit of a Martian landscape going on in there. It's quite nice, actually. This is one of the few places where there's industrial stuff going on and they don't build a 10-foot-high wall. It's, you can see over it, you can see what's going on. The barbed wire is not particularly inviting. But you're not going to pay, you know, there's not that much sand you can take away in your rucksack, is Right, there? and you're not going to nick one of those you're silos. Not, you're not, no, no. You could just cause, create a lot of damage, I think. Jeez. Damaging sand is your thing, uh. yeah. <laughs> I showed that sand. If, uh, we're facing the Thames now, and the, the, it comes up over our heads. Bits often drop off, but they have put these, uh, this protector now in a way so we don't get hit by gravel. But what is interesting now, as I find, is this new development that's going up just beyond... You mean housing over the back? Sorry, housing development, yeah. Frankly, I wouldn't want to live there, overlooking this this site, because this site isn't, as far as I know, isn't going anywhere soon. But there you are with a few of the Thames, but you've got the, the aggregate processing plant in your view very close to. I wonder what's on the other side. Of the houses. Yes, I wonder if you'd prefer a view out the I'd other way. I'd prefer a view looking the other way, or least of the Thames. We can see, of course, that the windows are tiny. I think they've tried to conceal the fact that there's a not very pleasant view. Yes, I think... By reducing the size of the windows. Yeah. Yes, I mean, they're very... Yeah, quite small windows. Ahead of us, on the other side of the river, on the north bank, you can see cranes poking up. And what they're marking is the Royal Victoria Dock which we'll hopefully get to later on. They're not functioning anymore, the cranes. They are purely decorative. And then just beyond that, the white structure uh, with the A-frames, that's the XL centre. To the right of that, again on the north bank of the Thames, is the old Spillers warehouse. It's a large 1930s concrete structure, which the Luftwaffe have missed. Now, are we looking at the place there that's on the, on the right of it, there's a white section, is that the one? There's a, there's a white little white building, which is a sort of lifting plant, which was part of the factory, but I think both the lifting plant and the building beyond the grey, which, which says Millennium Mills written across the top. I don't know if you can see, oh, yes. you can see that. Yep. That was owned by Spillers and it was used just for packaging 
uh, dog food building and they're both listed and I believe that they're going to convert the Millennium Mills into uh, luxury flats by well done yes <laughs> you must have been reading the literature goodness yes it doesn't look very luxurious at the moment but in a few years time it will be well what's the betting that the flats here overlooking the aggregates plant were also luxury flats <laughs> luxury with a slight discount i suspect does luxury just mean you've got the luxury of having somewhere to live in london i think that's right i think right. you're right yeah you've got a mortgage hey we can see the quarry barges there these are the ones that are left to have a think about things while the tugboats go off and do their business elsewhere mm. and festooned across the river from the millennium I still want to call it the Millennium Dome across to the other side is the uh, vacuum of taxpayers' money that is the Boris chairlift Oh yes, that's interesting, I think according to a Freedom of Information request it has six regular paying customers on that the rest is tourists as and when they turn up you know, people who come to the O2 Arena, they can escape off to the north bank of an evening. But it is a folly. I personally can't see it lasting too long. Well, no, the operating costs must be pretty serious. Yeah. I'm sure we know yeah. what they are. Yeah. Um, All of which could easily bring us to the Garden Bridge, but we'll resist. Ah, yeah, let's not go there, shall we? <laughs> we could talk long about that. What I quite like about this area is there are lots of larger-than-life bits of industrial stuff mm. here which have long become dilapidated and they're like carcasses of monsters. Some of the features there, there's this, this sort of support device here. I mean, it looks, it looks possibly Victorian. Reminds you of a railway station, doesn't it? Does, it does, yeah. 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 It looks as though... So there's a bit of square tubing up the end sticking out over the river there. It looks as though probably... That was meant to funnel something into yeah. something on a ship, maybe? Of course, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, and we can see... Oh, maybe, it, maybe it's still in use, I suppose. Well, what we're coming, coming up to here, this building here that's on very large supporting struts and a lot more safer than the building we saw just past the barrier... I'll it, take it. It's the... Very nice. This is the Greenwich Yacht Club. So in the midst of all this industrial carnage, um, we have the... The Greenwich Yacht Club. Now, at the moment, most of the boats are out of the water because it's not quite the season to be sailing. So we're coming to the boat yard here. Um, but this, I have been past here where there's races going on on a Saturday and Sunday. It's quite a hive of activity. So you can see there's some, you know, sort of 30-foot boats around here. The waterfront is denied us. We're being nudged off around the back of the Yacht Club. There we go. Well, here we are at the gates of the Greenwich Yacht Club. There's quite a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of boats there. Some which look like they've seen better days and may not be going back in the water this season without a good rub down and paint job. Same could be said of me. (laughs) I'll forgo the paint job. (laughs) We'll just stick you straight in the water. (laughs) Scrape off a bit of rust. Get those barnacles off. (laughs) Are you a seafaring type? I I do occasionally sail. Not so much into these days, but... um, Yes, I have to men around the Solent. Oh, right, yes. A friend of mine has a boat down there. Now, what we're coming to here is the Greenwich Ecology Centre. And this was created, opened in nine, uh, 2002. And what they've done is recreate a piece of the marsh that was here originally when it was Bugsby Marshes. And they've got water being pumped up from a, a, a well below. And just trying to recreate for what it's sort of like a wildlife sanctuary for ducks and birds the sort of environment that was here 100, 200, well 200 years ago before the industrial factories 
steelworks, shipyards moved in. Now we've come here to something that's been constructed on the beach and it's just down from the bits of rock that mark the edge of the beach onto the footpath and it looks at first glance like a pyre ready for ignition but on closer inspection you can see all sorts of objects have been hung upon it old flasks, workers' hats, tyres looks pretty much like the sort of flotsam and jetsam yeah. of the river has been piled up here artistically. It's been here a while. I've passed this a couple of times, and I think people just add to it as they find stuff that gets washed up. So there's a couple of pieces of charred tree stumps that'll probably get added in the next few days. I don't know who works it, but um, it's interesting. There'll be a photograph of this popping up on your Acast player any moment now. Well, it's all got very multicoloured off to our left now, just as we come past the... Uh, westernmost bit of the ecology centre somebody with whom the kids TV show Rainbow has left a lasting impression designed these <laughs> true, but at least here at Mudlarks Boulevard they've got views <laughs> Mudlarks Boulevard <laughs> out of town yeah, they've got views over the over the ecology centre here and over the Thames. Well, I must, I must say the, the, the view out is much better than the view oh, yeah. in, I mean, those they're weird buildings yeah. Yeah, we, they don't have to look at it, do they? No. No, they sit on their balconies, sipping their pims and watching the sun go down, and we've got to look at them. I think you've got an idea of what sort of people live there. No, I wouldn't go that. No. Um, oh, you mean because I just said pims? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you mean pims. No, I think, um, well, good luck to them, but uh, I certainly would like to own. Yes, I detected that. Yes, I was off. Yeah, I think we gained for that. I would like to live by the Thames, uh, but it's probably never going to happen. There's a smooth black brick object here. It's about shoulder height. It's built into the towpath at an angle. And it is a sundial. It was presented to English partnerships by the worshipful company of tilers and bricklayers in uh, the year 2000. A polar sundial. Can't really see it working today, can we? Because there's no sun. It's a bit overcast. Well, it's not that overcast. I was hoping for something. Yeah, what is it? 25 to 2. So it should be, you should see something there, but you can't. I mean, sundials and England are just uh, a Don't partnership work. that's never going to work. Yeah, no. No. No, no, no. Well, really, you have to wait until it's actually sunny as opposed to just light. Here we go. The sun's coming Here we now. Go. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, half past one. 20 to 2. There we go. It's been adjusted as well. Summertime. More construction to our left. Yes. Platinum Riverside. That is oh, that's the, the name of the uh, development. It, yeah. But the thing is with this, what you notice on the other side is there's very little infrastructure. There's very few shops. Um, Transport's not great, is it? Transport is not good. You, you, if you haven't got a car, you're relying on the bus because you're not nearer to a, a tube station. The nearest tube is at uh, North Greenwich or the O2. Yeah, they're sort of built, but without much forethought for... And schools as well. There's no schools in the area. Again, you've got to, kids have got to be transported to the, to, the, to the school. That sounds like a serious oversight. It does, doesn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, just let's get these things slung up on this, you know, what was once marshy land. Nobody wanted to live on this. You saw throughout the Victorian era, developments, housing developments, close to industry in... Rather hide uh, Bermondsey, and it got as far as, as as Greenwich, and it really stopped at that point. Although there was a lot of industry going on here, 
people would have walked to work from their homes, either in Charlton or in Greenwich or further. Nobody wanted to live here because it was very low. There was no wall that we see now. It was dank, disease-ridden, and you, if you, you know, houses wouldn't wouldn't last very long. They'd be, the interiors would deteriorate. These are the, these really are the first inhabitants of this peninsula. So what's changed then? Is it all about building techniques? I guess so. Yeah, they will have drained the land. They will have pumped the water out. There will be facilities for pumping the water out. And so these can stand. And as you say, yes, building techniques have changed. They've drilled down far enough to build these 15, 20-storey buildings on top of. Yes, what are the depth of foundations required for one of these on a bit of marshland? Yes, yes. yeah. Yeah, they must have got down to something far more solid than just a bit of clay. You can see the structure in the Olympic Park way over yonder now. You see that? Oh, the, the, the orbit. The ArcelorMittal orbit. orbit. That's right, yes. Yeah. Have you ever been up it? I have, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've had a look out from their observation platform. Yeah. Is it worth it? No, it's all right. So they've got a sort of a, a strange hall of mirrors effect going on in the observation gallery. Yeah. So actually you're seeing yourself... Uh. In, on several of the aspects of the tower and then you're looking down on the uh, the east end of the match factory as yes, was of course yes what's the company name I'm looking for uh, Bryant and May Bryant and May yes I think as with absolutely anywhere in town if you've got somebody who knows the area and knows the stories and can tell you yeah what each of these places used to be and can uh, fire up your imagination with what was and what might be. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. What about the top of the Shard, though? I think that's the... That is fabulous. Have you been up there? I have. Yes. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, it was, it was very good. We, we managed to time it, so we got a sort of you know, three-quarters an hour of daylight and then the sun went down. And then just as the sun was going, you could see all the lights just popping up. And it's like looking down on a model village with all those lights and the train set underneath, which is... London Bridge Railway Station and it's fabulous I must go back Mm. I'd like to go and take a chance when you're above the cloud and you will just see the taller buildings of London just poking through that would be fabulous I was watching the window cleaners up there as I was catching my train from London Bridge Station this morning and they are suspended from an arm that pokes out at right angles it's like a it may even be a robotic arm yeah it makes it seem like the building itself is alive. Yeah. And it stretches out on an elbow. Yeah. And then from that is suspended this incredibly heavy page that they're yeah. sitting in to yeah. clean the windows. Clean the windows by hand. Really? That must be like painting the, the fourth rail bridge, as it used to be. They don't have to paint it anymore, but they used to have to paint it. And once they'd finished, they'd start again. Well, as you can hear, there's uh, plenty going on in the background. You know what? All this noise in the background makes me think that uh, perhaps I could give your ears a rest, listener, and we could take a, a lovely, soft, comfortable word from our sponsor. This episode of Londonist Out Loud is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. And actually, we decided to put Squarespace through its paces. We're very proud of the London blog we run, but we thought, what the hell, let's try putting another one together in super quick time. So we got on the case... 
using Squarespace. It's very easy indeed. There were some beautiful templates to work with. The customer support was second to none. And within just one hour, we'd made a fantastic looking blog all about Peckham. Take a look at our post on the subject. See what you think. Squarespace could not be simpler to use. And because you listen to this show, there's a freebie here for you. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code LONDONIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Most Londoners, if you go back through their their family history, you'll find that you know some of them were lightermen, worked the Thames, worked on barges. There's huge barges. I don't see one here. They're not motorised. They're about thirty foot long, made of steel. Oh and, yes, those big brown things that yeah. look like they should sink in a moment. Yeah, and they are not powered at all. They are operated by guys with very long oars, two or three of them. Uh, they work with the tides. There's very few of them left now. There's a, they have races during the year, during the summer. It's something to see, these, these massive things. They would have been laden as well. They would have had wood or cotton or gin or whatever was being shipped, and they would be moving it from ships, which, you know, if we were here 150 years ago, the Thames would have been chocker with boats that couldn't get into the, the docks uh, awaiting their Thames. So sometimes they would be just unloaded in the Thames on these on these lighter boats and manually brought to the shore by these guys who would just row. I don't fancy trying to stop one of those ones no, if you're no. riding the boar up the river. I think they know what they're doing. You know, they would only go with the tide. They'd never try and fight against the tide. No, not a job I'd like to try. No. Well, we're just coming up for the cable car now. Can you see anybody on it? I mean, sometimes you see there's, there's an empty one. That's an empty one. I should feel more indignant than I do. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's just a folly, it's just a waste. I think it was built for the Olympic Games in 2012. I served its function then, but it's not instantly disposable. You can't just take it away and sell it to the French Alps. Ironically, given that we were able to sell, sell everything else to well, that's true. overseas investors. Yeah, that's true. We could, we could try and sell this off, I suspect. I mean, we're being a bit miserable, aren't we? It's a bit of fun. Yeah, it is fun. I've never, however, I, I You've can't, never been on it? I've never been on it, you ah. see, so I can't. I shouldn't say. But look, you see, what I'm saying is, on the North Shore there, as, you, as you're going over, what are you crossing? It's refuse yards, there's aggregate plants, there's a skip hire centre. It's not pretty. It doesn't really show off London to best advantage no, to the visitor, does no, it? No. Uh, now, off to our left, you know, the architect of the buildings that we're looking at now clearly had Mondrian in mind. Mondrian without the colour, without those primary splashes, but certainly you're right. Yeah, kind of a monochrome yeah. Mondrian. Yeah. The one to the right there. Yes. That looks looks like some curtains got mixed up with a, a sort of a fish tank design. Yeah, I, I kind of see it looking like shutters on a camera, on an old camera. It does. That they it? Yeah. could close in and out. I think there is there is a building in Paris that actually does that, and it's a, it's an Islamic centre. So I always think I always kind of think it is a sort of Islamic design that. that building there's no you know there's no it's ornate it's very ornate but there's no no definable image in there just geometric shapes imagine if you were of a paranoid disposition and you walked past a building that looked like a thousand cameras oh yes you'd be spooked yes well this is one of the loveliest parts of the walk so far on one hand we have the hoarding of the building site towering over us yellow and red cranes and to our right eight-foot blue fencing stopping us from getting onto the ferry without a ticket. 
wouldn't fancy this as my daily commute. No. Well, it's nice though commuting on the on the, on the river. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But to come off here, no. I think this this station really here is just for visitors to the O2 centre. So they they're coming for a, see a concert or an exhibition. What we've got there on the North Shore is the point where the River Lee enters the Thames, and it's quite, how should I say, unaffected. It's not, for one thing, the River Lee was never culverted like most central London rivers, built over, went subterranean, Uh, and here it just meanders. We'll get a better idea when we get over on the other side of how it meanders, and this is how rivers such as the Fleet and the Warbrook would have entered the Thames. It's totally it's tidal and it's, uh, you know, you've got that light, the, the light ship, the red ship there, uh, it's now a recording studio, but it's kind of as Thames as it used to be the London, you know, central London Thames as it would have appeared uh, with, you know, decaying banks long before Bazalgette and his friends got to grips with beautifying the Thames back in the 1860s and 70s. It's almost, I mean, if you ignore all the debris, but it's quite I'm going to say idyllic. Of course, it wouldn't have been there. You'd have had all sorts of filth in the Thames and yeah, carcasses and gunk. And yeah, this is the cleanest it's been for several hundred years. And I think once they get the Thames Tideway Tunnel finished, it'll be even cleaner. You'll be able to you know, swim in it. If yeah. You... What do we What do we know about that? There was lots of talk on the show a couple of years ago, and we've heard precious little since then. Well, it's happening. It's got yes. the go. You got the go ahead last year. Um, Has ground been broken? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very controversial if you're living there close to one of these portals that they created where they're going to dig down and be working, you know, I won't say they're working around the clock, but you're going to have trucks coming in during the day, taking debris away, bringing raw materials in. It's not going to be pleasant, but, you know, it's, London needs it because the Bazalgette sewerage system, which was designed for 4 million people, and here we are with nearly, you know, nudging up 8, 9, 10 million people, is overloaded. And consequently, whenever there's a heavy downfall of rain, the system is overloaded and sewage has to go straight into the Thames. There's nothing else they can do about it. And what they want to do with the Thames Tideway Tunnel is eliminate that completely with this big tunnel that's going to go underneath the Thames and will carry all the sewage away to the processing plants just further to our... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. East. I think the people objecting to the project should be the people at the other end of this tunnel. Because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of poo that's going to be arriving on their yeah, doorstep. It is. Not on their doorstep. No, no. But I know it's, it's hard if you're living there and in the next few years is, your life's going to be sort of made a misery because of the work that's going on but you know well it's one of those ones you know when you uh, go somewhere that you're not familiar with and your nose detects that you're downwind of the local sewage treatment works yes yeah so anybody who's got the they're, they're not going to no it's the, the sewage plants I believe are still going to be the same existing oh sewage plants um uh, uh, Cross Ness. But they'll be working overtime. They'll be working overtime. They'll probably improve the size of them. They're, they're well to the east of London. What I'm talking about is the points where they're hmm. building the tunnel and they've got to bring the materials in to start digging. Uh, so they're bringing concrete in, they're taking refuse out. Now, apparently, they are going to start taking a lot of the, uh, the spoil away by boat, which is a good thing. Use the river. We're right next to the O2 now. Yeah. Now, this was created for the Millennium Exhibition. 2000 uh, and has since been sold off to it's now the O2 arena and there's an interesting feature at the top you can actually walk to the top of the dome about 30 quid I think it costs to walk it's it's more expensive than going up the shard and I don't quite get it I think I'd rather go up the shard any time than walk there's no lift up this we'll see it in a minute I think when we get further around you'll be able to see people who spent their 30 quids to get up there well, uh, two objections. Firstly, it's not that elevated a vantage point from which to uh, survey the Thames. Secondly, if you want to get up high and see this part of town, then you've got the cable car right there. Car, which is a lot cheaper. Yes, absolutely. But there's an, you know, there's an opportunity there to make some few quid for the O2 promoters. So why not? I'm, I'm not proud. I might open up my shed for the same experience. <laughs> Stick a step ladder yeah, next to it. Yeah. yeah, I could open my loft, knock a few tiles out. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Periscope up through the gym. Yeah, ten- tenor a pop. <laughs> now, what we've got here is the the, the opening to the former East India Dock. It's a quite a small one. This this dock opened in 1802. This is on the north bank. Oh, sorry, we're on the, yeah, I'm looking at the north bank. There's a couple of lock gates which are permanently closed now, but this is where. As we get a bit closer, you'll be able to see it's not a very wide crossing. It's only about 20, 25 foot across. So you can imagine the boats that were coming in were wooden ships and they were taken into an inner court area and then would be processed and they'd go to... And where all those buildings are, those high-rise offices, apartments, was where the East India Dock was uh, completely now been filled in. It's in the same way that Canary Wharf is largely. Although with that, there is no water in there. This is the only piece of water that's left that they've just built over the old dock I rather like that feeling of and you get the same feeling actually by road when you come up from Dover yeah and you I think it's just before you get to the Rotherhithe Tunnel the first moment that you glimpse the shimmering lights of the city and the the same sort of feeling must have been felt by people arriving on ship and starting to see this you know coming around this bend and starting to see the built up area there's the place you're getting to there's your destination it'd have been a lot darker if they were approaching at night though no, it would be just so little light because, you know, what, what light was would have been just oil lamps 
Um, Fantastic. Very yeah, atmospheric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Oh, this is atmospheric. <laughs> <laughs> so, so atmospheric, we've just run aground. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm sure they used pilots to bring them in, and I suspect they never travelled at night. I'm sure they just moored further down the Thames and waited until the sun came up and then ventured on- onwards. So shipping would have been not only tidal, and therefore the different jobs, the time of day at which they could do them would vary yes. because of the of bridge heights and all of yeah. that stuff, but also seasonal. Yes, yeah, of course, like, shorter, shorter days during the winter, there would be less time to do any manoeuvring. I said earlier, the lorry boats were just left out on the Thames here. 150, 200 years ago, this, this river would have been chock with boats just moored up in the, along the middle, just waiting to get in to, to the docks. Do you happen to know what people would do while they were waiting? Probably whittle. Oh, whittling, yes. yes. Sailors would whittle, I imagine. Renowned whittlers. Yes. They'd probably go ashore and, you know, drink themselves into a stupor. They've been, you know, they've been at sea. Maybe they've come from, you know, the Caribbean or the or India, China. So they'll be desperate for some shore leave. I should. They should probably have made that gap a bit wider then. <laughs> but you know, they were narrow. But you know, there were small boats. These were wooden built ships. These weren't oil tankers and container container vessels that we're used to today. And that's the problem. That that's why everything moved further east towards Tilbury, as it these boats just got bigger and bigger. These just couldn't cope. That must have been, that became quite obsolete. A long time ago. It was then the Royal Docks were established in the 1850s and 60s to take larger and larger, and, and then metal uh, hold ships right. were getting in. Well, because you can see, as, as we're walking here around in the top of the peninsula, and we can see that the sandbanks extend out probably a, th- a quarter, a third of the way into the river. Mm-hmm. Not ideal for a ship with a big draft. No. Although they may have dredged it then. You know, now that there's less... Uh, you know, there's not big vessels coming up and down the Thames now, so probably won't bother dredging this because this is a this is a slack point in the on this peninsula here on this here on the south side. Sand just gets deposited. Fastest flowing water is on the far side, so that's always a deep channel. They'll keep over there. Entrance there too, as you can see, advertised Blackwall Yard again, a small entrance built for the the, the West India Dock, which was built about four years before East India Dock. So about the turn. Of the 19th century, there's a huge amount of work going on around here, and that was another wharf that had been created purely for trading with the West Indies. Now, controversial thing about that, of course, the money found to build that dock was, was uh, through slavery. That triangular trade between here, Africa, the West Indies, and that rotation of taking captured slaves from Africa over to the West Indies to work on plantations and the produce brought back to here. So that dock has a rather tainted history. Is that reflected or memorialised in any way over there? I'm not sure. It should be. There may be a memorial in there somewhere. I've never seen one. As we've rounded the curve now of the top of the peninsula, we can see the Barclays building, the HSBC, Citibank, and the uh, big pointy one. Always in mind, when, you, when you're walking in there, it's like a little bit of mini Manhattan. Mm. And it's all so new and clean and marble-lined and grid-like. So I was reading your Londonist article very recently about a pumping station. We will see that very building just as we get further around this corner. We'll talk about that thing when we get yeah, to sure. it, because it is a very interesting building. Now somebody's left out. Now, I've seen this from the other yes, shore. Good. Somebody's left a, a bit of their boat behind by yeah. accident. Yeah, well, there's somebody in there as well, you can see. But this is, again, another piece of sculpture. It's called a slice of reality. 
Now, whether this was a ship, it was called reality, I'm not totally convinced. That just, but what they've done, and it's kind of reminiscent of what used to take place along this stretch of the peninsula, was uh, ship salvaging, breaking. And what they've got here is this piece of ship, complete with its bridge, and they've just sliced it into about a seven, eight, nine metre length of boat. So it's like a cutaway. It's a bit like one of those eagle cutaway illustrations. Again, it was created at the time when the Millennium Dome was being built. And, and just it's left glazed here. here as well, I see. Yes, yeah. And it's used, because I said there's still somebody in there at the moment. There we go. I think it's a studio. Yeah. We look down into the base of it. That's open to the elements. But you know what I would have thought if you were to glaze that as well? Yeah. Little apartment? I know. Exactly. I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> now, you would get the tide. You'd be underwater there. Yep, that's fine. Have, that would be lovely. I'm willing to compromise. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. First time I saw it, I think, was from the far <laughs> shore. Sorry, I can't, I can't come to work today. I'm underwater. <laughs> I'm submerged. <laughs> now, what we're going to come to here is quite interesting. Is the um, zero-degree longitude marker just a bit further on. See where that sign post is there? That has about, yeah. I think, I can't read it from here. We'll see when we get to it. There's a mark, and we'll be able to see the observatory, the Greenwich Observatory, where it sort of officially comes from. Um, and it cuts across. Oh, yes, I see. We've got a. Now, a, a bit of description is in order here. So, yes. the thing we're passing is a platform, once again, on those. St- I tell you what. Let me do you a, a, a... Oh, a solid. Yes, I've had emails about the whole solid thing. Uh, thank you for your emails telling me how to say, do, do me a solid. I shall say it correctly from this point on. We will do you a solid. <laughs> we, we'll post up a picture immediately of the platform that we're passing right now. David is uh, photographing away. But for those of you listening in audio... It is a 20, 25, 30-foot-tall platform on stilts, solid-looking. Might have been repaired recently. And there's a wide gangway out to it. And both the platform and the gangway are covered in grass. And it looks like it's probably perfectly happy being that way. And into that platform, and with a counterpart on the Thames walkway here at the side of the river, we find the marker for the uh, zero degree longitude so you can sort of line yourself up here so we're looking out we're looking absolutely due north but if we turn round we should be able Look, to can see. i guess this due south due south but there's a crane in the way so mm. i can't see but there is the greenwich observatory which is the marker officially marking the zero degree Longitude, unless you're French, in which case they're strongly disagree. Parisians tried to get it in the back in the uh, 19th century, and there's a sign here which reads here 24,859. And what that means is that if you were to start walking from here, head north 24,859 miles later, you'll come back here, you will circumnavigate the globe. You might have to do some swimming though, as well. a building on the north bank of the Thames that's interesting me and unless it's an optical illusion it's kind of chimney shaped it looks as though it's cylindrical from this side but slightly wider very slightly wider at the base does I look don't know anything about that building no me neither it's very new as you can see they're still they're still fitting it out 
Um, but it does look like a nice sort of an elongated cooling tower. Something you might see next to a power station. That might be a story. <laughs> now here we've got the entrance to West India Dock, which is slightly wider than the previous ones. Built in 1802, but they will have refurbished it several times to big to accommodate larger ships. And you can see there's a sort of drawbridge-type construction, which is probably very rarely used now. Uh, it's owned by the Canal and River Trust people. And that's where the Museum of London Docklands lives, isn't it? A bit further along this particular stretch of water, yes, it is. That's right. We've got the old brown cranes standing to attention. At least with these cranes here, they haven't been adorned as the ones that are in the um, Royal Victoria Dock because they're, they're very polished and clean. These are very rusty and more authentic. Probably couldn't move if we just got completely arthritic with rust. It's a, it's a nice reminder of what took place, what used to happen there. And we find ourselves, surprisingly, on a corner. Yeah. And just round the corner is this electricity pylon, which has been sort of <laughs> launched into the earth. Wow, this is quite something. Yeah. I'm not sure. It appeared last year, but for what reason? I've no idea. It's at the end of this golf shooting range. But I don't think you're supposed to hit... No, you're not supposed to hit it with your golf balls. It's, it's not crazy far. golf. No, it's just... You can see the nets here, and they are just men like to whack balls large distances beats me well the bit of land that the uh, electricity pylon is impaling javelin fashion is a bit of scrubland to the right there is a road cutting between that and a large gravelled area there's a lot of nothing going on here given the what I presume to be the value of the land around here for development that's a surprising void it is surprisingly quiet but I'm sure, you know, come back here in five years' time and everything will have changed. It looks like it's just been set up for something. Mm. Um, I can't imagine that this is going to be left because it's not pretty, as you say. It just looks like a, a car park space. A lot of gravel just spread around. They Bring, did beautify Maybe, the maybe co- they've decided now we'll keep that area special for car boots, though. Mm. <laughs> yeah, in this area. Well, that, actually, this is one of the weirdest views I think I remember in London. Yeah. I've never seen anything like this. It is slightly surreal, isn't it? We've got the O2 there. We've got, we can see Greenwich bus station yeah. just over the way there. But we're standing next to a chain-link fence. A ventilation shaft for the Blackwater Oh, tunnel, yes, ventilation shaft there. Yeah. Then there's this big expanse of gravelly nothing yeah. with an upended full-size electricity pylon sticking out of it. And really, there's no structure for about half a mile. Inland, how, yeah, it is, it, it is unusual for London. Then we've got our river, it's got the river to the right yeah, of us, and yeah. the city there, yeah, very strange. As I say, it won't last, no, definitely not. Uh, and that gas, if I'm not mistaken, that gas former gas holder is coming down sadly because that was another of all the sort of quite basic industries that took place on, on Bugsby Marshes, which is now Greenwich Peninsula gas production was one of them that was a real stink of an industry coal would be brought in burnt to create town gas and that was a a holder for the town gas but along with that there was chemical works on this peninsula there was steel works boat shipbuilding boat building pretty nasty area you know so it's a lot of this most of it has gone as we'll see and it's just been built upon with expensive flats and a golf range of course 
Must have cost a fortune to clean that ground up. Yes. Oh, the st- yes. If you've ever been past a, a site that they're clearing of an old gas works, it stinks because all the chemicals have leached in well down into the earth. All that soil has to be brought out because it's contaminated. Uh, you can't build upon it. There's a charming building on the north bank of the Thames there. Uh, unmistakably Art Deco yes. set up all in white. It's relatively new. It's not, you know... Oh, original. it's not real? No, it's not. No, it's not original Deco. It's, you know, it went up in the 80s when in the development. But it is nice. It is quite a, you know, a relief from the, the tower blocks behind it. Now, we can begin to see the pumping station, which doesn't look anything like a pumping station. Now, this is the subject of your article. Yes, this is the Isle of Dogs pumping station. It's kind of a low, small warehouse with an apex roof, but it has two large columns either side of the portal. And it's in a sort of Memphis style, but the Memphis style is of an Egyptian theme. And there's a reason for that. The architect, a chap called John Outram, when he was designing it, he picked up on themes that Joseph Bazalgette had picked up when he was creating the sewage system and the embankments for the Thames. And if you're familiar with the benches on the Thames, they've got camels and sphinxes cast in metal at the ends of each of these benches. And the reason for this was that there's a phrase which is on a memorial to Joseph Bazalgett next to the Thames near Northumberland Avenue. And there's a phrase in Latin which basically says, he who placed chains upon the Thames and... This is what effectively Bazalgette did. He canalised the Thames to make it narrower so it would flush out quicker on the tide because prior to that, the Thames in places were two to three times the width we see today. And so the architect, when he was building this pumping station, thought he would continue with this Egyptian theme, this iconography, and developed it into the building we see across uh, on, the other sh- on the North Shore in the Isle of Dogs. Well, no-one can accuse it of fitting in. No, it's, it's, it's quite lovely. It's quite unusual. You know, you're thinking, you walk past and think, what on earth is that? Mm, yeah. yeah. If yeah. I had to guess, I would be thinking in the direction of a local sports venue with yeah. some ambition. Yeah. Maybe a, a theatre of some kind, yeah. but yeah. even then. Yeah. And it's, the funny thing about it, and we'll see when we get closer to around the other side, it, it is quite elaborate. There's quite a lot of expense has gone into the building of it, and yet it's unmanned. It's an automatic station. It just comes. It just gets serviced. And I should actually talk about why it's there, because the Isle of Dogs is actually below the mean water level, high water mark, and it used to get flooded, and so they've stopped that now by building a wall all the way around it. However, when it rains, of course, it's still prone to flooding on the other side. The land drop. We can be standing on that wall. And you see how the land drops away lower, and so when it, there's a flash flood or prolonged rain, that pumping station kicks in and pumps the water out into the Thames. There's two other pumping stations as well, but it is needed, which is essential. So we've come to a bit of the Thames that I've only seen from one of those quarry barges before now, very wide part of the river. And on the north bank of the Thames there, a cluster of ominous, almost Gothic-looking buildings. They look residential. They've got a sandbank that they're huddled around. But there's, uh, I don't know, they seem to be cast in shadow where everything else is in sunlight. Very peculiar effect. Yeah, and The beach is surprisingly popular. Whenever I go past it, there's often kids playing down there. This kind of reminds me back in the 30s by the Tower of London. The, the, the council then shipped in a load of sand for kids during the summer to play on the, on the, on the beach. And 
which is slightly unsettling because the river then really was really unpleasant. It was not a place to you want to put your kids into, but they didn't seem to worry too much about that, and they had a, a fine time. And that piece of sound there is sort of similar, but the river is a lot cleaner now. Well, we're, we're saying all this and reassuring ourselves, but we're walking through some of the worst air quality imaginable. Yes, it is quite stinky around here. Did you know that 40,000 people a year die prematurely because of poor air quality in this country? Yes, I am aware, yes. I feel lucky if we make it to the end of the podcast. <laughs> you think one of us might die? It could be a bloodbath, it could be both of us. Yeah. Oh, that wouldn't please Londonists. There'd be a long silence and then a, <laughs> a passerby who just happens to be trained in the art of media would have to finish it off. For Picks the microphone up and yeah. finishes the piece off. Yes. Look at this. There's a field full of golf balls. Yeah. Oh, there really is. Yeah. Yeah, all these white, oh, they're like mushrooms. First glance. And there's a... You can see just further over... I thought it. Well, it is the. It is a boat upended, but it's got the. Looks like it's been made into a duck or a bird. You see its yellow beak. Oh yes. This is all a bit surreal around here. It is, isn't it? There's nobody. Oh, there is a couple of people playing golf, but it's a working day, so. I wonder why they don't go and collect their balls. I think they have a machine that sort of probably a robot comes out and hoovers them up. <laughs> I'd like to see that robot. Yes. You know, there's that bit in every human male that wants to drive one of those uh, lawnmower yeah. tractors. Yeah, drive on. Yeah. I, I want to drive the ball-collecting robot. Yes. <laughs> uh, we might have reached a bit of a, uh, an ampass here. I'm no. not sure. There are several massive concrete blocks laid across our path. Did, land, oh, it looks like we can... They're like tank traps. These, they these, do, these, don't these, they? These, you know, we'll Maybe the golfers are particularly anxious. It might be that robotic golf-collecting car that makes a bid for us tries to escape construction going on ahead of us yeah I think this is more yet more aggregate sites it's, it's going to be aggregate or luxury flats it, is, it will become luxury flats once it's been aggregate oh aggregate then luxury flats yes. <laughs> but as we get further round the bend Greenwich will begin to reveal itself to us we can just see one of the the domes of the former royal palaces and I think, can't quite see it yet, the mass of the Cutty Sark will begin to sprout up too. We'll see those. Now, I've got a feeling we, we should, we used to be able to go down here to the right. Yeah, we're not going to be able I'm to stay by the riverside. I'm not sure whether they've closed it off. I don't, I don't know what you think, David, but it looks to me like they are building this construction site from Lego. I think this is just a barrier just to keep us out and stop us well, playing yes. with their cranes on a evening when they've gone home oh you know what it's because uh, normally they put up wooden hoarding but yeah. on an exposed part of the river like this with high winds yeah they can't do that we, we're not going under there are we yeah it's yeah, us through really yeah well that woman on a bike just came through so I think we're yeah well she so could get away from it first be okay thanks so we're walking under the digger at the moment that's leaning over from the footpath into the construction site. I'm kind of surprised they haven't closed it off to pedestrians. Here we go. Look. Well, if you're into your aggregate, my goodness, you've just hit the mother load. This is, yeah, aggregate spotters, this is the place to be. Yeah. It's not quite as glamorous as the Angostana 
Murphy's Wharf, but that was glamorous, wasn't it? That was glamorous in, in terms, but this is this is not bad. This looks compact and effective. To yeah, me. yeah. But it'll be servicing a lot of the building work that's going on around here. looking at lots of uh, imagine a sort of wood chipping type equipment that kind of thing with conveyor belts attached yeah. that's the vibe we're getting here and then enormous piles of very nicely graded gravel there we go the view now begins to reveal itself as you can see the Trafalgar pub that sort of pale orangey building and the old royal palace is just beyond and of course, there are the four chimneys there of the yes. uh, Greenwich Power Station. Yes, it's a power. It's it's a sort of part-time power station. It's used by London Transport for the underground network. If the grid fails, this power station cuts in. Um, used to be coal-fired. Now it's oil and gas-fired. So does that mean that there's somebody in there right now reading the paper, waiting for an emergency? Yeah, and probably smoking a cigarette, although I shouldn't be smoking a cigarette, but you know what I mean, just feed well, I, I don't think we can be uh, <laughs> defaming them in okay. that re- yeah. quite so readily. I guess so. Well, again, it may be a bit like the pumping station. It may be an automatic thing. Somebody in, a, in another remote spot just throws a switch and the thing fires up. But I imagine it would have to be manned. Yeah, yeah that, that'll be one of those jobs where you have to go around with a clipboard and look busy. Of course. Uh, yes, I've checked that for the third time today. It's still yeah, there. Tick, yes. And there'll be some junior there as well. Yeah. Who's getting bussed around needlessly. Have you checked that thing? <laughs> there could be an emergency anymore. But there hasn't been an emergency for the last 20 years, Bob. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know how frequently it is used. Uh, have you ever seen it work? No. I've never heard it working, but it might be fairly silent. Uh, and of course, you don't see steam belching out the chimneys. Now, the chimneys have been reduced. They were about a third taller before when it was a coal-fired station they you would know when it was running because you'd see smoke billowing out but now it's more invisible fumes so you don't see anything working so it can kill you without you noticing exactly and that gantry at the front of it that rather industrial that's where the the colliers would come and unload coal one would imagine they come from newcastle in the northeast I think the drinking game for today's episode would be a shot of whatever you fancy on the word industrial. Yes. <laughs> we wouldn't finish this walk, I think. No. I'm that, not su- that, that an aggregate. <laughs> I'm not suggesting we should be doing the drinking. Well, there's bits of birds strewn it's all over the place. strewn around, yes. Now, here's a yard just, just to our right here that looks like it has something to do with boat salvaging or reclamation. See some winch gear here. It's been probably taken off a boat. Um, but one of the very few that's left now on the Greenwich Peninsula. This is... We haven't ta- the one thing we haven't talked about is the um, Blackwall Tunnel. This is the Blackwall Tunnel? This is the approach to the Blackwall Tunnel. This portal here, this sort of little castellated sandstone building, is the entrance. Although we are about three-quarters of a mile away from the tunnel proper. But this was the original entrance built at the end of the last century. And there used to be a sister structure on the north bank. That got demolished when they decided in the 60s we needed another tunnel. That portal was demolished. But this one still remained, and you can still drive through it today when you're coming 
northbound on the Blackwall Tunnel. And what was it originally for? Toll or something? No, it was just pure indulgence, just decoration. Look, here we are, we can spend this money on... You know, there's not much of a tunnel. You can't see a tunnel, like a bridge, where you can see how wonderful it is or it isn't. With a tunnel, it's invisible. So they spent money just creating this gateway to the, to the north. <laughs> Gateway <laughs> yeah, to the north? Yeah. Well, there was a gateway to the south on the other side before they demolished it. Now, it's interesting, because when they decided they needed another, another crossing back in the 1880s, there was all sorts of plans put forward. Bridges were proposed, but the problem with a bridge, it would have to be so high to allow masted ships underneath. It was uh, it was just almost impossible, especially when we were, then we were talking about horse drawn traffic the ramp would have you know started somewhere in south you know several miles south of here to get a good run up so a tunnel was opted for and as i said by the 60s the single bore tunnel wasn't enough so they built a second one and as we know they still need more crossings in the Thames. there's talk of a silver town crossing somewhere between here and the qe bridge qe2 crossing very important because the idea that a motorcyclist breaking down in the tunnel can bring all of East London to a standstill yes. for most of the day as well is yeah, it ridiculous. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my favourite aspect to that whole thing is that as you come out of the tunnel, if you're heading south, there's a sign telling you that breaking down in the tunnel without fuel will incur a penalty. But of yeah. course, you only see that sign once you've come out the other side. <laughs> bit late isn't it you've got to be very unlucky to run out of fuel in the tunnel do you think if you saw that sign having broken down without fuel and then come out the other side you think oh if i would only known yes yes now with the, the other side of the breakers yard this sort of dark brown metal structure that we see in front of us is actually it's like an l-shaped building boats are brought onto it and they're floated up it's like a floating dock and they can be pulled out of the water it, this this is effectively sunk down boat comes in and then they pump all the water out it floats up with its platform to the side, raises the boat up so it can be repaired mm. or in this case probably dismantled It looks like a boat itself It does, I don't know you go very far on it but it's all going, it's all been taken away We've been wending our way through a narrow channel between fencing and hoarding respectively and at the end of it suddenly, having passed through an industrial wilderness we are seeing very abruptly stuff that really belongs in Teddington or Surbiton. Nice municipal handrails, willows over the grassy bank. So we've been transported in the space it of five metres. Make the most of it because it's not going to last very long. Oh, OK. Yeah, it is, it is an aberration. Rounding a corner. Oh, yes, it's back to, it's back to horrible again. Yes. I like those houses just on the gale on the North Shore. They, but they do look rather Dutch. Um, whether there's a reason for that... Well, there's a Dutch connection there. That is what we're looking at there, is what used to be, probably less so, called Cubit Town. Ah, right, now, we mentioned Cubit yes. in a previous podcast, yeah. and a Cubit is buried in West Norwood Cemetery. Now, what is this Cubit Town named after? Well, it's named after the builder, Cubit. Well, I wonder if this is the same fella. I don't know, let me have a look. For once you've stumped me now, and I will have to check this one. Have you got a decent reference book you can turn to? I have got this book in my bag, which is the North, uh, the London Thames Path by David Fathers. Yeah, I've read that one. <laughs> mm. uh, here we go, here we go. Right, next page. This was built by William Cubitt, who was an MP, and was brother of Thomas Cubitt. And Thomas Cubitt, 
he was responsible for Pimlico. He was. He yeah, was. He built that's the, that's the one, right? So it's his brother. So the MP. What's an MP doing building a, an area? Surely the builder should be building. Yeah. Well, he's probably. You know, he was an MP who had other things to do. I would guess. Are you suggesting that there was in that time an MP with lots of extra spare money no. around? Guess there was. Yeah. was who wasn't spending his whole time focusing on his MPing duties? Probably not. No, I think he was busy uh, aggrandizing himself by having a part of London named after him. You wouldn't make that connection today between um, property investment and being an MP, would you? No, not at all. No, no. But I don't. You see, I don't think it is referred to as Cubit Town anymore. I'd like. To, I'd like to bet estate agents don't call it Cubit Town. It's Isle of Dogs. It's Island Gardens. But not Cubit Town. Paradise Peninsula. Not Paradise Peninsula. I mean, again, the Isle of... Shangri-La Town. Yes. Again, the Isle of Dogs. Very much like Bugsby Marsh's Greenwich Peninsula. It was, it was marsh. It was below the level uh, of the, the high water mark and consequently flooded a lot. Again, until, you know, very recently, until, you know, Cubit arrived, they started building houses there. Sort of um, houses for the workers who were working in the... Millwall Dock and further north to the West Indies Dock. Well, that's, that's the thing. Despite the fact I've been railing against the luxury housing, and I'm not suggesting for a second we don't need housing that's genuinely affordable, uh, a lot of the manual jobs that were going on in this part of town have evaporated. We're just down to the guy reading the newspaper exactly, over there in the yeah. uh, no, it, part-time power station. There's very little industry in, 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 in London per se and the scale of what... You know, one of the reasons why the dock developed was because of the need to get goods, raw materials in, uh, goods out. And um, London made so much, manufactured so much, from chemicals to railways to pianos to ceramics. You uh, have a piano industry. Yeah, it was a huge piano industry. It was a major form of entertainment. It was, it was the sound system of the Victorian times. There was no, you know, there was no radio, no television, no PlayStation. This is what families did. And there's numerous piano factories, redundant piano factories in, in London. Now there's a very, it's quite a famous one in Camden Town, a circular building just off Oval Road. But there are lots of, there was, yeah, many, many piano factories in London. And of course they were shipped out to the, to other countries, to the empire. So there was a, you know, huge need for the Thames, this, this super highway for getting materials in and finished products out. And bringing finished products in, of course, importing foodstuffs and dyes and cloth. We're at the point of the trip so far that feels most abandoned. Yes, it is. We're here, we're sort of getting towards the the southern end of the peninsula. And the point we're standing at here, I, a couple of years back, this was a boat salvaging yard uh, all along here. And it's completely been removed. Yeah, you're, you're pointing at a gravel beach. You wouldn't yes. know that anything had ever been no, there. No, you wouldn't. No, and it's... They've, They've taken absolutely everything away. Last, every last bolt has been removed. Well, that's very effective salvaging. It is very yes, of course. That's what they are good at. Um, I was just curious as to what that structure was in land. That when I was talking earlier, there's a sort of a, a metal grid thing, which doesn't look like a building. It looks more like a piece of sculpture. Uh, we'll see it maybe when we get past here. But every time I come along here, something new has appeared. I haven't been probably down this footpath now for about six months. And the change is phenomenal, these, these buildings. And you can't miss them because of these many sheds, shades of turquoise and orange apartments that are going up. Yeah, if you want a tasteful turquoise apartment, this is definitely the place it to is. come. It is. 
Yeah, you've got multiple shades there. You've got a choice. And some very fine views. I can see that one on the corner there, on the right. Oh, yes, you've got a view there over Greenwich. No aggregate within view. No. Well, there's the downside to everything, I suppose. (laughs) There's a mudlarker down by the shore there. Either that or he's uh, lost his wallet. Yeah, I suppose he's mudlarking, yes. And you can see that actually there's remains of another um, salvage yard here with just the runners left, those wood, decaying wooden runners where the ships would have been sat on while the boat was taken apart. Again, all gone, all taken away. Yeah, I mean, that whole salvage thing must have been a massive phase in the devolution of the Thames as a port. Yes, yeah, there would have been lots of smaller, you know, the barge types, the unpowered barge type needed taking apart and recycling, melting, uh, and, and larger vessels, vessels too. Just the smaller ones that plied up and down the Thames, offering various services to the docks. I'll get strangled if I assert that the Thames is... Uh, anything less than a fully functioning port, won't I? I'm in this bit of the Thames, of course. <laughs> By who? who? Who's going to strangle you? Oh, you know, the stranglers. Oh, right. OK. But it isn't, you know, it's not a... You know, it is no longer a fully functional port. It's, there's tourist boats and there's the clipper boats, uh, which is, you know, very commendable, but it's not the... You know, it's not the... If you can see photographs taken, you know, late Victorian photographs of the Thames when it was chocker. I wouldn't say you could wa- walk across the Thames on these but it was you know pretty close there was so much shipping out there something i've never understood about victorian photography mm-hmm. when it came to photographing uh, for example the river and the traffic on the river no problem at all mm-hmm. but if they were photographing an individual then the person in question had to sit there for about half an hour yeah. feigning interest yeah i think i think well the boats did they have to get the boats to could everyone just stop <laughs> you don't see detail i guess but you know they don't move that much, or if they did, they would blur. This was another, this magnificent IKEA corridor that we're going through here. This blue painted corridor it was another salvage yard, but again, it's gone. Well, it strikes me that we've been spending about half of our time on this walk in corridors. Mm. Well, it's just development work. You know, it's, we're, we're between you know, the old industries going and the new apartments arriving, and that's purely what it's waiting. I'm sure all this land has been snaffled up it's been cleared yes you can see there all that pile of rubble which will get graded cleared new hoarding's gone up over there so another one of those apartments so they whoever bought there thinking oh yeah we've got great views out there over the Thames will have to be sadly disappointed in a few years time when another block goes up a rare glimpse of river and I guess we're beginning to come to a conclusion now because we're about to set foot uh, before very long in Greenwich proper. Yeah, things will change. I mean, the Greenwich it was an established village long before this area became heavily industrialised. It had the Royal Naval College has been here. Before that, those buildings were royal palaces. Apart from that, there was a fishing port as well here. This is a little enclave that's been there, just a little village by the Thames. People rarely ventured out onto the peninsula because it was stinky and unsafe and it was a perfect place for Dickensian characters to feature in. Do you know what? I feel like as we take this step, we are out of the construction zone. You're absolutely right. We've gone off some sort of rough tarmac with sand and scrub land and now we're on some rather finished adhesive gravel. It's been such a nice green new cycle path. And yes, it all suddenly changes. 
the, these apartments are occupied. There's some one or two fine pubs coming up. And if we ignore the power station... Well, which we should not. We will not. We will talk about that. But yes, you're right. It suddenly changes. The money starts here. We're, getting, we're coming up to some uh, 18th century housing here. And this was, this was the end of Greenwich. This is as far as you've got. Because all the buildings we're standing outside of right now are conspicuously new. Yeah. What would this have been? This would have been you know, the beginnings of the marshland. Oh, right. Yeah. Might have been some arable, some farming, small amount. But it was because it was so wet you couldn't keep sheep or cows. Oh, right, yeah, hooved animals. Hooved animals ungulates. Would, would sink yes. and get you know, diseases of their hooves. So that wasn't possible. So it really was... Just, just a dead area, and the only people who moved in were industrial operations, gas production, steel, shipbuilding, chemicals, glass making. Um, look, we've even got a sign here that says the River Gardens at Royal Greenwich. Of course, it's Royal Greenwich as well, not just Greenwich. And now we're stepping from the new path that we just described onto cobbles. Yeah. Which means we can't afford to live here. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Far too expensive, these cobbles. And this is... There's a, a switcheroo has been done here because the street that we're in now, uh, whereas before they were all calling themselves uh, Tranquil Meadows and stuff, where they clearly weren't, uh, we're now in the very refined area and it's called Ballast Key. And if you look up, it's the Harbour Master Office. Huh. This was where he resided over this stretch of the Thames. What the Harbour Master would make of all this. We're outside the Cutty Sark. We're not actually outside the Cutty Sark. No, this But we're outside the Cutty Sark pub. This is the... Yeah. No, the Cutty Sark is another three-quarters of a mile away. And I think this is where we're going to draw to a close. We can see the Royal Naval College uh, within a stone's throw, the power station right there. But the temptation afforded us by the pub is too much to bear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I suppose we need to find a way to wrap this up because the, yeah. the path continues. And it, has, it has changed. I think the thing you know, we just mentioned about that is we could see as we, we moved from the peninsula, the architecture, the surface of the path that we were walking on has all completely changed. It's largely much older. If we just turn around our backs to the Thames now, we've got the pub, we've got some Victorian and even earlier housing. There's the Harbour Master's office and the power station, and then just beyond that is the the old uh, 17th century arms house but it has changed and we're no, we are no longer on the peninsula I suppose the uh, the trouble with the Thames path is that there's unless we go right to the source there's no natural place for us to stop so we sort of have to abruptly apply the brakes can I find a more nautical term uh, drop anchor we must we must what yeah drop anchor yes we, am I really going to do that you're going to say no, I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's your show, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I refuse. Uh, well, well, okay. I'll, I'll like to, yeah. I think this is a, a good point, really, outside the Cutisart pub, for us to drop anchor. Well, I'm glad you did. You did it suavely too. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's borderline acceptable. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for taking the time to guide us today. You're welcome. It's been very enjoyable. I've always, I always enjoy walking these eastern stretches of the London Thames path they're always you know there's always something new to see every time I come along there's something developed something's changed something's gone something's arrived yes and what was the excellent reference volume that you were leaving through earlier it's the book which I illustrated and 
uh, wrote, and it's called The London Thames Path, and it's a guide to the London Thames Path from Putney Bridge to the Thames Barrier on both sides. It covers about 40 miles in total. It's published by Francis Lincoln, and it's available from all good bookshops and websites that sell books too. If you want to see more of this book, pages of my book, do visit my website at joemoon.co.uk or you can follow me at the Tilbury. Oh, for today, yes. David Fathers, thanks very much. Thank you. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to David Fathers. Thanks to, to Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. My name Quentin Wolfe. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Before Shopify, were you wondering where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.